ways. If you have your Bible, you can turn with us to the book of Philippians. We are uh, in a series called The Pursuit of Joy. If you're just joining us, we're in chapter 2. We're at the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 19 this morning. Uh, and uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Philippians, and so uh, we're, we're calling this the pursuit of joy because we want to be a church that pursues joy. In fact, it's our, our, in our vision state. We exist to glorify God. We exist for the glory of God, rather, and the joy of all people. And so it's no accident that we chose this book, this little four-chapter book, to uh, start our first series to go deeper in the Bible. It's, it's the book of joy. Paul is writing to a church that he loves and has invested his life in, and he is communicating uh, how to pursue joy. And right away, something odd strikes us because uh, we're all on a pursuit of joy. That's part of being a human. You will do what you think brings you the most joy. Everyone out these walls and everyone across the planet today is doing what they think will bring them joy. But uh, we want to enter into that conversation that joy, according to Paul, is not based on our circumstances like almost every other kind of joy that is out there, but it is rooted deeper than that. It is based on, well, we see on a relationship of knowing, loving, and following Jesus. And uh, we know that it's not based on circumstances because he's writing from prison. He's writing with an uncertain future, and he, and he just wants to encourage them and say, hey, don't worry about me. And we've seen some things every week. We've said that there are coffee cup verses in an almost every week. There, there's stuff you can slap on a Christian t- uh, T-shirt, put on your Instagram, whatever the case may be. There's verses in Philippians that are just amazing. And so he'll say stuff like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're like, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And then he turns his attention to the Philippians and he says, now only let your manner, uh, let your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, 127 of Christ. And then he, he begins to say, here's how you're going to pursue joy. It's not an individual pursuit. It's a community pursuit. And so he says something like this, do nothing out of selfish, out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant as yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And he says, let me give you some examples of that. And he points us to Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, to be grasped. And, and we saw that amazing uh, picture of Jesus emptying himself, coming down the ladder and taking on flesh and uh, being obedient to the Father and dying on the cross for you and for me. And and Paul says, look at that example. That, that will be a, a great example for your pursuit of joy. And then last time we looked at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we saw that that doesn't mean work for your salvation or work up your salvation, but, but the salvation that God has put in you, uh, if you're a follower of Christ, begin to work that out of your life so that it has practical implications in community and with, with other people. And if you do so, you will find joy. But the good news is it is God who works both the will and to act within you. And we saw that. And every week there's just been these verses that are like, man, that can be uh, someone's life verse, except this week. There, there is nothing in this particular passage that you're going to remember. Uh, uh, no one's favorite verses in this passage. Uh, in fact, uh, the temptation, and my temptation was, 
Uh, let's skip that. Let's skip to chapter three. Chapter three's got some good stuff again, and we can throw that on the wall and maybe get those little plastic letters and put those in our home and put those on above our bathroom, whatever the case may be. But, but today, no. But two convictions here, first of all. The first one is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so there's something here for us. And then the other conviction came from a couple weeks ago. Remember, uh, context is important. Remember what Paul is trying to say. As you pursue joy, you got to love one another. Look at Jesus. Work out your salvation. And then he puts this here. And if we could wrap our lives around what he says here, I think actually, and this isn't just pastoral hyperbole, but maybe it is. uh, But I think that this could have more impact on our life as a church five years from now than any sermon uh, that I ever give or certainly any sermon in this series. To illustrate that, let me tell, tell you a story before we get into the passage. The year was 1998. I had just graduated from Colorado State University uh, with a degree in economics. I had been a believer for about four years at this point, and I, I had a desire. I felt God was calling me into ministry, but I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what that looked like. And, and one of my mentors, Kita Andrews from Colorado Community Church, said, hey, uh, would you like to go to Okinawa, Japan for the summer and work with Marines? I'm like, I'm pretty skinny, but I'll do that, and I'll, I'll, I'll go, and I, I went and lived with this family, the Ariliscus family. They were missionaries sharing the gospel and their lives with the Marines stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and so I, I went there, um, and lots happened there, but one in particular captures my attention when I think about that time. See, a lot of our time was not just Bible studies and, and uh, uh, you know, what we think of ministry. A lot of it was just hanging out with guys. And so uh, I, I was there as the intern. And so uh, the Arliscus family had an apartment upstairs in the same building. And uh, Drew, who was uh, the, the pastor there, said, I'm going to go and hang, up, hang out with my family. Can you kind of maintain the, the hangout time down below. I'm like, sure, no problem. We're just playing ping pong. We're playing card games. And, and so we're playing a card game. And all of a sudden, we hear Drew, who's six foot nine. He's intimidating presence. So uh, Marines don't bother him. Uh, but uh, he's six foot nine. We hear him. Uh, he, he's apparently very, very angry with one of his daughters. And we kind of drop our cards for a second. We're like, whoa, okay. Drew's mad at his kid. Okay, no big deal. Well, uh, we begin to play again, and the next, I didn't think about it until the next morning when, when I met with Drew for our you know, two-person staff meeting, and uh, he just said, uh, you may have heard me uh, yell at my six-year-old Hannah last night. I'm like, now that you mention it, yeah, I did. And he just said, I'll never forget. He'll say, Mark, and I'm 22 years old, I'm not married, I, I, I was dating Jennifer, but I don't have kids, I don't have any, he just said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Mark... A father should never speak to his daughter like that. And, I, and he said, I gathered my children this morning around the breakfast table, and I told them that, and I asked for their forgiveness. I was like, whoa. I mean, that blew my mind. That, that wasn't a culture in my home growing up. Like, you just moved on. You forgot. You didn't forget about it, but you never brought it up again if something happened. No, certainly, uh, it never, never came from parent to child. Hey, will you forgive me? And so that stuck with me. 
It, it stuck with me because uh, I learned more in those three months uh, just observing, just being present around the, the dinner table about life and ministry and marriage and parenting than I have in any seminary class or any other time in my life maybe combined. It has an, had an effect on my parenting. I, I yell at my kids, but I ask their forgiveness. I, I, uh, I, I mess up, but I realize there's, there's, re, there's repentance and forgiveness. I, I, I've learned how to be a husband, a better husband, because I was just watching someone for three months. Now, when you begin to understand that more is caught than taught, and we, we all know that, right? More is caught than taught, then you begin to understand what Paul is saying in this passage and why it's so important for us to get this. I mean, everything you've learned uh, in your Christian life, you probably learned by observing other Christians. If you've ever prayed out loud in a room, it probably wasn't just uh, the very first time you became a Christian someplace in your dorm room and just came in and said, hey, I want to pray, guys. No, you probably sat there and were quiet for months and just listened and said, well, how, how do we pray? How do we, how do, we do this? Or how do we worship? Or, uh, you know, if we were in a, a different setting, uh, a more charismatic setting, all of you probably would have been having your hands raised and dance. But, but instead, you looked around and you were like, okay, we, we put our hands in our pockets here. But you learn from each other, okay? Uh, there's just something about observing other people. And that's true in church, but it's true in everything. So, so you learn how to be an athlete by watching athletes. You learn how to be a businessman by being a businessman. You learn how to be an electrician uh, by, by going through the, what was it, the journeyman program, uh, Nick? Apprentice program. So when I met Nick almost 20 years ago, that's what he was going through. And now he owns his own electric, electrician business and it's going gangbusters. But he learned by observing more is caught than taught. Every good parent knows this, and that's why we want our kids to be surrounded by good kids, because we know that that sets their life on a trajectory. We know it financially. We know it uh, professionally. And yet, uh, the one area that will echo throughout all of eternity, our spiritual lives and the impact that we have on other people, so often gets neglected in this. We think spiritual growth comes maybe by, by studying the Word, and it does. Uh, it, it may come by, if you different circles, by the Spirit of God, and it does. But the, the third means that God uses, maybe more than the other two combined, <laughs> is the people of God. And so when we understand that, we'll understand why this passage becomes so important. Paul wants us to consider two people. In light of what he said about humility and serving one another, now he's going to put before us, here's two people that are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Look at their lives. Consider their lives. And so the first person he tells us to consider is Timothy. Timothy. He says, consider Timothy. Look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that it may be so that, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, it looks like being genuinely concerned about other people. Timothy was genuinely concerned. So he puts forth Timothy, and the Philippians would be like, oh, we know Timothy. Yeah, Timothy is genuinely concerned about us. Timothy really does sacrifice for us. Timothy loves us. So, so he says, 
You need a flesh and bone illustration. Yes, it it is helpful, and we should consider the cross as often as possible. Yes, you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but you need pictures of people in your community that actually do this. So consider Timothy. He's genuinely concerned about other people's welfare. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now remember earlier in the chapter, verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, Timothy does that. So look at Timothy. Consider Timothy. Notice how he lives his life. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. He has a track record. He's not like, hey, uh, is everyone looking at me now? I'm going to serve. Look how I'm serving. No, he, he, he served behind the scenes. You kind of catch him around the corner, and he's serving somebody. Uh, those are people you can trust, you can follow. He's a proven track record. How, as a son with a father, has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how you, it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come. So he says, consider Timothy. Consider the kind of attitude that serves other people and, and follow those people. Look for those people. And then he puts forth a second guy, Epaphroditus. He says, consider Epaphroditus. Verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. That his, his name comes from the word Aphrodite, the, the Greek goddess. So he probably came from a pagan background, uh, and he had been converted by the gospel of grace. And then Paul says, consider Epaphroditus. Consider the type of person he is. Here's a person that walks in a manner worthy of the gospel, so watch his life. He says, he's my brother. Uh, that's That's an amazing statement that Paul, a Jew of Jews from Tarsus, uh, would would say of a Gentile named Epaphroditus, nonetheless, he's my brother. The gospel does that. The gospel makes us family. And so he's like a brother to Paul. He says, and a fellow worker, he has purpose. He uh, understands the, the gospel matters and the expanse of the gospel matters. A fellow soldier, he understands duty and sacrifice. And your messenger and minister to my needs. See, the, the Philippians had, were, were a poor church, but they had heard that their pastor was in prison in Rome and he was suffering. And so they gathered their resources as everyone could, uh, could give. And, and they said, we need to send someone with this. And Epaphroditus was like, oh, here I am, send me. I'd love to go see Paul again. And so they give uh, Epaphroditus the money and they say, we don't want you to just go and give him the money. We need you to kind of take care of him and, and tend to his wounds and, and help him out. And he says, yeah, I'll do that. I would love to do that. And so they send the money and send him on the way. And it says, for he has been longing for you all. And again, I see that as a parallel to Timothy, who is genuinely concerned for you. He longs for the Philippians. He, He loves the Philippians. And it says, and he has been distressed. He's longing for this church back in Philippi. He's in Rome now, but he's longing for it, and he's distressed. Why is he distressed? Because you heard that he was ill. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting in my climate-controlled room on my nice bed and I'm sick, my thought isn't like, oh, I hope, I hope Redemption Parker doesn't hear about this. They'll be distressed. 
I mean, no, my thought is like, hey, who's here to serve me? Someone, uh, I've got a fever, uh, and my wife's like, no, you don't. You're just tired. Just lay down. And she's very, I mean, we're, we're very good. Like the first day, uh, one of us is sick. And then by the second day, it's like, you need to get over it. I don't have, uh, sorry to throw you under the bus, babe. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? He's, he was very sick and, and uh, messengers have sent word to the Philippians that, hey, uh, the guy you sent, well, well, Paul tells us he almost dies uh, in his service to the Lord and serving Paul. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill near to death. Uh, and so uh, he, he's recovered now and he's like, I just got to get back there. They're worried about me and, and I want to I bless them. And so he's others focused. What you see is uh, people that are uh, living a life worthy of the gospel think of themselves less and think of others more. Uh, here's a picture of our pursuit of joy. Think about the most joyous person you know, like whoever it is, just someone come to your mind, that, man, that person is really, really happy all the time. Man, that person is fun to be around because they're joyous people. Now I want to think about another person. Think about the person who, who is, is the most caring, loving person, the most one that gives themselves away the most. And, and I'm guessing for, for many of us, most of us, that is the same person because there's a, a hint, there's a, a secret to the path in the pursuit of joy. Those are, that are most joyful are most others focused, and the opposite is true. The most miserable people, people that have the hardest time in life, are so indrawn and so disconnected and so woe is me, and let me tell you about my pain, and let me tell you about this, and, and, and no one wants to be around them because it just becomes this, this black hole of gravity of joy that gets sucked into their life. You want to be joyful? Serve other people. That's what Paul is saying. So consider Epaphroditus. Consider Timothy. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Now, there's, a, there's actually a third model in this passage, and it's the Apostle Paul. Here he is suffering in prison. Here he is with an uncertain future. Here he is possibly going to be executed for the faith, but he, his concern is for the Philippians. He wants to see them be joyful. He wants to see them thrive. So he sends one of his helpers to go comfort a whole church. And he says, I want you to rejoice when he gets there. So consider Timothy, consider Epaphroditus, verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. It says, honor such men. We are to consider other Christians. We are to identify other Christians that uh, are following in the path of Christ. And so we, we look around and we say, who looks like Timothy in our midst? Who looks like, like Epaphroditus in our midst? And let's spend some time with those people. Let's, let's go around their kitchen table because that could have a, a lasting impact because the only thing that matters at the end of the day is how much we will have known and grown in Christ and how much we will have helped others do the same. And so we look around 
And even though we're just a new church planet, there, there, are, there are a myriad of examples that I, I've had opportunity to, to look at in the last few months as we've gathered. And, and that could go all day, but I won't do that. I just want to point out two incidences in, in our community uh, within the last month, really, that, that I said, hey, that's what it looks to follow Jesus. If I do that, I'll become a little bit more like Jesus. The first one was uh, Olivia Russo. We were camping at the beginning of the month, and uh, we had, Brad and I had gone up to try to get some spaces, and, and we had found some spaces, and, and we were waiting for other people to leave and to get their space so because more people were coming up. And the guy that was running the camp came around, and he's like, well, there, there's these other people, but this sweet spot by the river, and I'm kicking them out because they haven't even paid for the last couple of days. I'm like, yeah, kick them out. We need that space. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, it's 12 bucks. Come on, people. And I'm just like judging them. And um, I'm like, we need this spot, these dirt bags. And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting there. And we're at the campsite. And I look over. And Olivia is talking to these people. I'm like, Don't, doesn't she know that we need their spot? <laughs> like, they need to pack it up and get out of here. And she keeps talking to these people. And I, I go off and do something. And I look her over, and she's still talking to him. And, and, and she's like, come, like, like doing the Christian side hug to the, to, to the girl. And I'm like, what in the world? And, and the girl's crying. I'm like, uh-oh. She talks for another hour. I'm like, hey, this is a church event over here. We're having fellowship. What are you doing? And uh, she's just talking. And, and eventually, word comes back. And she's like, oh, Olivia found out that you know, their car had broken down and they've ran out of money and their, their teenage daughter has run away and, and so she's just trying to comfort them and, and she's paid for their night and so we don't get that spot and, and, and uh, she's, she's arranged to get the car jumped and, and she's arranged for, for a church down in town to, to meet some of their needs and, and I was just like, that's what it's like to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. If I had more of that heart than this heart, I would look a little bit more like Jesus. But I needed the flesh and bone illustration. Because, because I know what the Bible says, but I need to see it in you so that I too can follow. Uh, the second one, uh, Brett's wife, Breeze. Uh, Brett and Breeze, they, uh, they, they are, have been an example to us in the community of just reaching out. And Brett teaches taekwondo classes and reaches out in the community. And they both lead uh, softball teams. And, and so they invited me to come play. And, and after the game, we got killed. We got destroyed. Like they called the game early because we got beat so bad. And I'm just kind of like, this sucks. And I'm giving each other high fives that I get to the end. And um, you know, you go through the line, you come back, and we go through the line, and, and Bree stays at their end, and I'm like, well, we got to go over here, and, uh, and I just kind of watch from a few feet away, and, and as the team that just destroyed us came, came around, and um, she's like, hey, guys, I just want to let you know, it was an honor playing you guys tonight. Um, if anyone needs any prayer or anything like that, we're going to have a little prayer circle over here and just a short devotion, and you're welcome to join us. And, and no one came. But I, I saw in that moment, I'm like, I can do that. I, I can be genuinely concerned about others and at least give them the opportunity. And I said, that's what it looks like to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. So we are to 
consider Timothy, consider Epaphroditus, consider others. And then as we reflect on this passage, I think we need to consider our own lives an example. In what ways are we putting forth to the world a life worthy of the gospel? What kind of painting are we painting of Jesus? And is it an accurate picture if you're a follower of Christ? What would people write about you? Hey, I'm sending uh, Amy to you, and let me tell you about Amy. Uh, I'm sending... (laughs) That wasn't a... That's my sister. Uh, (laughs) But whatever it is, what, what would they say? You know, I, I think, uh, well, one, a couple things I know. If you're a follower of Christ, you, you, have, you have resources of the Spirit for you that, that you can grow in this. But Jesus uses means for his ends. And the means we've said are the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And, and he'll put people in your life to develop and grow you. Um, uh, D.A. Carson, who, who may be the finest or one of the finest theologians alive today, when he was a college student, he was studying biology and, and math, and, uh, but as a Christian, he wanted to reach out to some of his uh, neighbors or some of his fellow students, and so he invited him and his roommates, started inviting students into their dorm to talk about Christianity and ask questions, and the first week, three showed up, and then like 15, and it started getting overwhelming for them because they really didn't have that much background and information yet. And so uh, sometimes the questions got hard. And, and so they, they had heard about a, a graduate student who was a Christian who could answer very well. That's what they heard at least. And so uh, they said, let's take these two guys that are asking these questions to that guy. And so they, they set up a meeting for coffee and they sit down with this graduate student Christian guy and they bring these two other guys and the, the graduate student looks at the first one and says, what are you here for? He's like, well, you know, I'm in college. I, you know, I think this is a time to learn and be enlightened. So I'm studying all worldviews and religions. I'm studying Buddhism and Islam. And, and, and I think it's important to do Christianity as well. And, and the graduate student looked at him and said, I don't have time for you. <laughs> and everyone's kind of taken back. He's like, no, it's, it's not that. I'll give you some books or something like that. But I'm a graduate student. I only have 24 hours. I'm very busy as well. And if you just want to dabble in Christianity, I'm sorry. I'm not the guy for you. And he t- turns to the next guy. What are you here for? And the next guy's like, well, uh, well um, you know, I just, I'm wondering what the big deal is about Christianity because, you know, we're, the home I grew up, we weren't Christians, but we were moral people. We were good to our neighbors. My parents loved each other. And so I don't see what the big deal is. I don't see why, uh, what, what the difference is in your life and mine. And he looked at him and he said, follow me. Excuse me? He said, I, I've got a couch. You can come to my dorm. I want you to live with me for a month. And I want you to wake up when I wake up, and I want you to go where I go, and I want you to go to sleep where I go to sleep, and at the end of the month, you'll have the answer to your question. Now, if that sounds audacious to you, it shouldn't. Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says elsewhere to the Corinthians, follow me. As I follow Christ. If, you, if, you, if you're a Christian here, you have the Spirit of God. And in some way, shape, or form, we should all be able to say to a watching world, and the world is watching, hey, do you want to know what Jesus is like? Follow me. 
Now, of course, we're not going to do that perfectly, and in some areas we'll do better than others, but, but even when, and again, that illustration, when we sin and we do it different than the world and we say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It speaks about Jesus. So follow me. And this is true of children as well. Like it isn't just that we're looking for you know, older examples, but Jesus says, hey, look at children to know what it's like to follow me. So, so we need to look at the faith of children. We need to look at uh, people our age. We need to look at people older than us. One of the reasons why we don't silo our ministry, like, hey, if you're 18 and a half to 19 years old, you go here. And if you're, if you're, if you're young married, you're here. If you're divorced, you're over here. If you're, if you're old, you go to the Sunset Club. You know, one of the reasons we don't do that is because we can all learn from everyone in here, from kids the people that have been married for 50 years. Paul and Nancy, how long have you been married? 51. 51 years. You want to know what it is to live a life worthy of the gospel in your marriage? Spend some time with the Brennans. Spend some time with them. We need each other. We need examples of one another. So how do we get there? How do we... How do we intentionally create an environment where we're going to impact people and we're going to be impacted by people. Let me just ask three questions to start off with. First one is this. You probably know the answer to the first one, probably not to the second and the third. First one is this. Do you plan on being alive in five years? Okay, maybe, the, maybe not all of you, but the vast majority of us, you plan on being alive in five years. Okay, so that's an easy question. I plan on being alive in five years. There's no guarantee. I'm not, this isn't prophecy or anything. I'm just asking the question. If you plan on being alive for five years, then we can go on to question number two. Question number two. In the next five years, how many people do you plan to influence in their relationship with Christ? I don't know about that, Mark. <laughs> okay. And then the third question is, what's your plan? What's your plan to, to impact uh, uh, however number of people, and, and how are you going to do it? Now, here, here's, here's my challenge. Again, if you're just joining us, um, it may take some time for you to feel comfortable to even try this challenge, but um, if you don't have a plan, try our plan. <laughs> our plan is, is this. We, we call them gospel communities. Our gospel communities are just our, our intentional time to gather and, and to do life with one another. We make them highly predictable. They're not, they're not university classrooms. They're not, you know, a cry and support group. They're just an opportunity, opportunity to, they're not, you're not going to be chanting, you know, and all that stuff. It's just an opportunity to, to have a structured environment for you to come together twice a month and maybe to serve together once a month and do life with one another, to open up the Word of God and, and see what God has to say, to pray for one another. To, to have a meal together and to spur one another on to be genuinely concerned about each other and about your neighbors and about our city. It's our plan. Now, you might have a better plan. If so, go with it and tell us about it because we, we, we don't, you know, this isn't in the Bible. We, we're just trying to do whatever we can to, to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and to help others grow. If you're a Christian, we need you. You have the Spirit of God. If you're not a Christian, join us and see, follow us to see if, if Christ is worthy to be followed. 
Now, the reason we love gospel communities is because uh, first one is anybody can do it. Anybody can do this. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to know the Christianese. You don't have to know how to pray out loud. You don't ever have to pray out loud. You don't have to even be a Christian. But you can say, hey, I can show up. I know how to eat hamburgers and hot dogs. I can do that. And I can, I can sit and listen in. Uh, anybody can do this. I, I love this plan because it's about multiplication and not addition. It's not about how, how much talent or gifts or ministry experience or what seminary you went to, uh, to, to be able to flourish in community. Anybody can do this. Like I said, it's about multiplication and not addition. See, when we think about church growth, what we think about most often, maybe your experience is this. How do we add more rows? How do we get a bigger room? How do we find a, a plot of land and build a building? And that's all addition. And that, that's all well and good. And that's fine. And, and maybe there's some of that, but, but that is slow. That's not how we're going to transform a city. And so we want to talk about multiplication. Multiplication by gospel communities. Now, we started about one year ago in our home as the first gospel community. So we had one gospel community. Now, one year later, we have three gospel communities. Okay, so we have uh, two in Parker, one in Littleton, uh, and, and some are ready to split even again. And, and so that's multiplication. Now, uh, if that continues, uh, by this time next year, we'll have nine gospel communities. And that's not a stretch for us. We, we really believe we could do that as, as people are intentional and missional and reaching out to their neighbors, friends, and coworkers. Nine gospel communities to do life together, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is not a stretch. By that point, by year three, we'll have 27 gospel communities, 27 different groups that we can point to. Again, this is just at the current rate of expansion. By then, we'll have some energy and momentum and say, hey, we really can impact this city. And so by year four, we'll have 81 gospel communities. And by year five, we would have 243 gospel communities. Now, again, you don't believe that because you think of church growth as addition, not multiplication. But this is what we're putting all our eggs in this basket. We don't have, we don't have the greatest youth group. We don't, have, uh, we don't have all the great programs. We don't have Sunday school. We have gospel communities because we think circles are better than rows. We think more can be accomplished doing life together than just checking a box. Now, if we do have 243 gospel communities, that, that means that we would have uh, over 6,500 people impacted by our gospel communities every month. In a city where 80% say, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever, we need multiplication, not addition. We need to be genuinely concerned about one another and this city. And so um, I can't this, this is what we're going to do. Maybe you just like to show up on Sunday, and we'd love to have you, but we're, we're going to continue to irritate you and, and prod you into a gospel community. So we've got the Duguses and the Meisingers. Raise your hands. So they're right here. So if you, if you live near here, talk to them and say, when do you meet? Well, we meet the first and third Friday of the month, right? So you just met on Friday. And then we've got one in Littleton, and we, we've got... Uh, uh, we've got the Duguses, and why, why is your name slipping my mind all of a sudden? Oh, my goodness. We had them over for dinner a couple nights ago. This is community. No, it's when I'm standing in front of people, I'm like, I don't know my wife's name. But we got the Vanderleys. 
and the Russos. Okay. And, and you're, me and Littleton, you had yours on Friday, first and third Friday night, and um, they're, they're going gangbusters. They're already like, hey, we might need to multiply, which is awesome. And then we have ours at our house, uh, along with uh, the holidays and the markers join us and others. Uh, we would love to have you. We're the first and third Wednesday nights. So if you don't have anything on Wednesdays, do that. We have a youth gospel community. That's the second and fourth uh, Wednesday nights for uh, junior high and high school kids, for them to get together and uh, study the Word. They come to our adult gospel, our, our general gospel communities as well, but uh, they're studying the book of James together and spurring one another on. So here's my challenge. If any of us ask you, hey, are you in a gospel community? And you say no. And we ask you, hey, why don't you join ours? My challenge is say yes. Now, I get, now, there's two things I know about you as I close out here. First of all, no one here wants to come five years from now and say, man, I just kind of spun my will spiritually. I didn't really impact anybody, and I really didn't get impacted by anybody. Five years from now, you want to be a different person than you are today. So that's the first thing I know. The second thing I know is, especially if you're not in a gospel community, is you don't have time for this. <laughs> Man, you, don't, you have busy life. You don't have time for a gospel community. And, and to, to that, I would just say, make time. Make time. It's the only thing that will last for all of eternity is your spiritual life and the impact you have on others. I get it. We overschedule and overcommit. For, for this to work, it takes both, both the, the follower and the followee to make time. So to that end, as we consider Timothy, Epaphroditus, and our own lives, may we be a, a different community five years from now. Let me pray for us, and then I'll lead us in a time of communion. Father, we, we come before you, and we thank you for your grace and mercy to us uh, that you have made us a new creation. You've brought us into a family. Lord, you, you tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but that, that isn't to be done in isolation. It's to be done together. So Lord, I do pray that the vision of multiplication would, would take root in our hearts and our community. And by your Spirit, you would empower it so that, uh, that our, our expectations, our hopes would, 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 would be too little that more than 6,500 people would ha have been impacted by the gospel through one of our communities. Lord, would you uh, give us encouragement this week to even uh, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, to, to consider others better than ourselves, and to be genuinely concerned about the people on our left and our right, the neighbors on our left and our right, and everyone else you bring across our path. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.